Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. A royal priesthood, this is part number four, I believe. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That's been our anchor text, and then from there, I'll kind of map my coordinates. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. If you're new in our house, I want to say a big welcome to you. My name is Deji, and I'm privileged to serve on the team here at Lighthouse Church. You are in the midst of some of the best people in Ottawa. The very best people. I'll also encourage you, um, when you're done with service today, don't run out, okay? Stay, hang out just a little bit, meet somebody new, all right? Introduce yourself to someone. Make it your objective every Sunday to meet someone that you've never met before, all right? And to know them, not just meet them, but to know them, all right? This is a house of fellowship. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Can you say a royal priesthood? Can you say it one more time, a royal priesthood? If you don't mind, can you say it one more time? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. No, no. Just, just a royal priesthood. <laughs> I want you to repeat. I'm just reading on, okay? A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By the way, to all our team members who were somehow connected with planning our cookout yesterday, you did a fabulous job. It was amazing. Thank you guys very much. It was very, very good. Thank you. We appreciate you guys. All right, so over the past few weeks, I've been talking about a royal priesthood, right? Um, I tried to set context around the fact that God has ordained you and I to be kings and priests unto God. It's your ordination. That's your identity in Christ. Peter is writing to a body of believers, and he says that you are a royal priesthood. I spent a couple of Sundays talking about the priesthood. We couldn't exhaust everything. And I said a number of things, starting with the fact that priesthood speaks to consecration. It speaks to separation from and separation to. Separation from something, separation unto God. Priesthood speaks to consecration. I said priesthood speaks to sacrifice. It speaks to service. Service speaks to worship and it speaks to altars. I talked about the way, um, the way of altars, right? And I said you must be dead to self, dead to flesh, dead to the world, dead to sin, right? Some of those things we talked about. I said a few more things, but I cannot do a full recap. Please when we are in a series, it's always best that you go and listen to the entire series. Um, we tend to teach in a straight line, so if you <laughs> come in in the middle, you might miss some of the context, all right? You might miss some of the context. But priesthood speaks to consecration. The scripture we just read, 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter is saying that we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. But if you go back just a few verses to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, there's a verse there that really captures the heart of priesthood. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter is saying that we are a holy priesthood. So you also, as living stones, you also, you all, 
okay, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Now, please pay attention to this. To do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that is a very loaded scripture because number one, you're not just called to offer up sacrifices. You're called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You're not just called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You're called to offer up acceptable spiritual sacrifices. So it's possible that you offer up a spiritual sacrifice, maybe service to God, maybe worship. That is not acceptable. All right? Acceptable spiritual sacrifice. And it is unto God. It's not to a church. It's not to a pastor. It's unto God, and it is through Jesus Christ. That right there is a whole sermon in itself. But that is the heart of priesthood. All right? We talked about altars. And I said that a priest without an altar is not a priest. It's like a lawyer that qualified, was called to bar, but doesn't practice law. Never been to a courtroom before and whatnot. You're a lawyer in title, but you're not a lawyer in practice. That's what I'm trying to say. And for many Christians, the reality is this, that our identity in Christ does not align with our reality in Christ. Do you understand what I've said? This is who you are. Whether you know it or not, whether you have the revelation or not, whether you accept it or not, you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you're a king and you're a priest. That's your design. That's your shape in the spirit. That is your identity. However, your reality can vary from your, your identity. So our job, when the Bible talks about bringing the saints into maturity, all right, or bringing us into the fullness of the image of Christ, is to make sure that your identity in the spirit becomes your reality in life. Do you understand that? That's the very difficult job of a pastor. <laughs> um, so that was the whole concept around priesthood. So I want to focus on kingship for the next couple of weeks. I'm not taking a turn because it's really a continuation. I'm just changing lanes, all right? And I, 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 want, to, I want to encourage you, please pray for your heart that you will understand what I will say to you, um, that you will catch a revelation of this reality, that you are indeed a king. And king is not gender-specific, that you're royalty, okay? That you're royalty in the, in the eyes of God. So to make our conversation easy to have today, I want to break my conversation into three main buckets, all right? The first one being that I want to convince you that you're a king. Do you understand that? First bucket. Then, I want to speak to you about the expressions of kingship. What does this mean practically? And thirdly, I want to speak to you about the articles of kingship. All right? So everything I should say should fit into those buckets. If it's not fitting there, I try to find myself back <laughs> where I need to be. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Peter says to us that you are a royal priesthood. Let me start by saying this, that as Christians, it's either you believe the Bible or you don't. Let, let's just establish that. And I, and I know what it means sometimes to read something in the Bible that you're like, yeah, God, you... This is a joke, right? For example, when Jesus Christ says that greater works than I did, <laughs> you will do. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's very nice. That's cute. All right? But let's allow me to work out my faith and my salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just make it to heaven. All right? Greater, you can leave greater works for later. There's some things you read in the Bible, you're just like, uh, okay, this is nice, but I'm not there yet. You know? So, so I'm trying to get you to a point today where you embrace this concept of your royalty. Okay? That you're a royal priesthood. You either believe the Bible or you don't. You either believe the Bible or you don't. Um, so, in Revelation chapter 5, 
that song you sang, a couple of songs you sang here were very apt, by the, by the way. God bless you guys. In Revelation chapter 5, there is a context, there's a scene in heaven. This is John. He's took, you know, he, he's, God took him up into heaven and starts to reveal things to him. He sees the throne of God and he sees that in the right hand of the one who sits upon the throne, there is a scroll. And no one, no one is worthy to open the scroll. There's almost panic. People are scared in heaven. The spirits, the angels are like, who is going to open the scroll? So the Bible says that a lamb comes in. And he's seated amongst, or he is in the midst of the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And he takes the scroll. He breaks the seal of the scroll. And he's able to open the scroll. All right. And scripture tells us, by the way, and I'm giving you context because I'm going to get to a particular verse of interest. But I want to set this, the tone for you. That the four living creatures that surround the throne of God and the 24 elders, when they see this lamb, they fall before him. All right. Then they start to say, worthy, 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 and all that stuff is the lamb of God. But scripture tells us that these 24 elders have something called golden bowls full of incense. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 8. That's where I am, sorry. Golden bowls full of incense. And these bowls contain incense that really, the Bible says, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I said to you that the altar of incense signifies the altar of prayer? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? That means that when you pray, on the earth, whether you pray in tongues, whether you pray in English, whether you pray in your local dialect, what goes to heaven is not your words, it's incense. And the fragrance of that incense is what determines if your prayer is acceptable or not. So when you don't pray, what it means is that the golden bowls in heaven marked against your name have nothing. There's no incense, but that's not where I'm going. The living creatures start to talk, and as they speak in verse number nine, listen to what they say. They say, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. They're talking to the Lamb now, which is Jesus, of course. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Pause. I have a question for you. When you read the Bible, you have to ask critical questions. This is the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Did Jesus redeem did Jesus die for spirits? Did Jesus die for spirits? You're confused now because I just read this in the Bible. <laughs> You're like, uh, mm, I don't know. Did Jesus die for spirits? Did Jesus die for angels? Did Jesus die for the 24 elders? And the four living creatures? Okay, good. That's, he did not. They did, they're not falling creatures. There's nothing to die for. But what they're saying here is that you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Really, what's happening here is that the, the creatures around the throne room of God are echoing the testimony of the saints. Okay? They're speaking on you and I on our behalf. And what they're saying is that you're worthy because you've redeemed us, that's the body of Christ now, by your blood, out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And verse 10, that's where I'm really going. It says, and you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Can you say, and we shall reign on the earth. That right there captures our kingship dimension. That upon this earth, we are built to reign. We are made to reign. We are made to reign. All right, so let's back it up. What does kingship look like practically? Because I talked about priesthood. I talked about altars, and so you can understand all that. The first thing that kingship looks like is authority and dominion. 
authority and dominion, or rulership, you can call it. There is no king without authority. Do you get that? It's authority, it's dominion. That means that if you are a king, there are certain things that should never happen in your orbit unless you authorize it. You understand that? Hmm. That means that if you're a king, the enemy cannot just trespass into your life. Just interject your whole life and send you into panic mode because you have what's called authority and what is called dominion. It means that if you're a king, there's some things that should not happen in your domain because in that domain, you have authority. That's what the Bible means when it talks about authority and dominion. Now, I'll expand upon this. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples in a little while. But just think about authority. Think about dominion when you think about a king. But beyond that, think about glory and brilliance. When you see a king in the midst of people, you must know who the king is. Do you understand? You must. There's no... King, kings don't blend in. It's not... <laughs> You can say, yeah, I'm a humble king. I just want to blend in with my people. That's true. But when people see the people, they will know who the king is. Right? Yeah. It's glory. It's brilliance. There is a glory. There's an aura that surrounds a king that we carry with us as children of God. All right? So authority and dominion, glory and brilliance. The third thing is honor and dignity. A king is a dignified being. You can never see a king on the streets fighting with somebody. Do, do you understand? Some things are normal. Like if you see two people on the street fighting, it's weird. In some countries, it's not weird. It, it, it's not weird. In this country, it's weird. It's weird. But it will never happen. A king will never be caught in that situation. Do you understand that? He's too dignified. He's too dignified. Even his office will speak to him. No matter what happens, he will not act out of character. You can't see a king just stand up and start shouting in public. It can never happen. It's the honor and the dignity of the office that the king occupies. Do you understand that? Okay. And then also, when you see a king, you think about sound judgment. Kings basically solve problems all day. And people come to the king, they bring disputes within the territory to the king, right? And they say, hey, this is going on, this is blah, 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 blah. And the king has to make a sound judgment. Not just sound judgment, but righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. So, I'm saying that to say this to you, that in your life, you must exercise authority. In your life, there must be glory and brilliance that goes with your life. In your life, there must be honor and dignity. Okay, you can't, you can't be a king and be a parasite or a pest. People are honored to be in your presence. So, if people see you and they're like, oh, she's coming, I'm out. <laughs> that is a good sign that you are probably not walking in the reality of your identity. People should look forward to being in your presence because there's something you bring to every conversation, to every encounter. And of course, you must have the capacity for sound judgment. Sound judgment. So let's talk about Adam, okay? This is our design. This is our design. This was the original plan of God for you and I. When God made man, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, Scripture says this, that God said, God said, this is the creation story. Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. Hmm. 1 and 26, Genesis. Then he says, let him have dominion. 
That word dominion is authority. Okay? Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the castle and over all the earth. Really what he's saying is that let him have dominion over the earth. Do you understand that? That was the design of mankind. And the Bible says that in verse number 27, then God made man in his own image, and after his likeness, in the image of God created he them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God said, and blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Then he says, and again, what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea the birds of the air, and over every living thing that creeps upon the earth. That was your design. So this guy, Adam, when he was made by God, he was the epitome of glory. <laughs> listen, listen, please pay attention to me. Adam epitomized, listen, this guy didn't have clothes. He was literally covered by the glory of God. Literally, he was covered by the Shekinah glory of God. When he sinned, the glory left, and he realized that he was naked. So the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The guy did not have clothes on, and nobody looked and said, oh, dude, you're naked. No, he was covered literally by the glory of God. There was something around him. And when he lost that glory, as a matter of fact, it's interesting to know this, that when, when, when Adam sinned, and they were naked. The Bible says that they were afraid, not ashamed. That tells you that the glory protects. Shame was a secondary feeling. They now went hiding. But the first, what they first felt was fear. That something of value has left us. So Adam, in his original stage, before he fell, was a creature of glory, a creature of authority, a creature of dominion. The Bible says that everything that Adam called, that's what it became. That is authority. That is, that is authority. Authority is not power, by the way. There's a difference between authority and power. Just like anointing. Power is anointing, right? You don't say, oh, this guy is very anointed. Uh, <laughs> how do I explain this to you? Listen, so authority can do everything that power can do. But power cannot do everything that authority can do. Do you understand that? No, you don't. Okay, let, let me explain. So when you see somebody, let me use ministry, for example, just as a practical example, that has a very heavy anointing. Maybe the person is really gifted, um, has a preaching anointing. When he preaches, the place goes upside down. Everybody's screaming. Power of God comes, break, breaks loose, and all that. Or a prophetic gift. Okay? That's an anointing, isn't it? That's power. So you can minister to the people, and you can change situations. You can turn circumstances around with power. Uh... Authority, though, is different from power because authority does not scream. Authority does not shout. Authority does not shake, does not vibrate. It's just a decree. And everything that power can do, authority will do. I'll give you an example. <laughs> There's a man of God of blessed memory called Archbishop Bentini Dahosa. Okay? I met a guy yesterday whose name is Idahosa. Is he here? No. I told him he doesn't know his heritage. That, that's a very heavy name to carry. <laughs> the archbishop was one of the men that, I, I would say, walked in spiritual authority in an unusual way. 
very, very unusual. Like this man was such a strange man that <laughs> someone told a story about how they were eating lunch with the archbishop. Another pastor who was eating, having lunch with him, told the story. And people drove into the guy's compound frantic and brought a dead body in the middle of lunch. And they said, someone died in the car. The guy's name was Sunday. The archbishop washed his hands. You know what he was eating. <laughs> Stood up from lunch. He didn't finish his food. Walked out to the compound and said, Sunday, why are you sleeping in the afternoon? Why are you sleeping in the afternoon? Stand up. And he turned back and went, now, listen to you, me. If you bring a dead body to me, <laughs> I'll tell you first, you won't see me for two days. Let me enter my inner room and lock myself up and pray a lot. That, that is authority. That's not anointing. Don't ever. You see, anointing, you, do, you minister with, under the anointing where you're ministering you know, in, to people and there is a pool on the anointing. When somebody can wake up from sleep and go and raise a dead man and go back and eat, that's not anointing. That's authority. So what I'm trying to say to you is that in your life, there is a level of that that you must operate in as it pertains to your life. You can't just be tossed through, to and fro by the enemy and, and, and you, you start begging Satan. Sometimes when Christians pray, I listen. Satan, please leave me now. <laughs> Why is it only me in Ottawa? You start begging Satan. She said, Jesus. You start begging Satan to leave you alone. Besides, when the Bible says he's giving you authority over the birds of the air, the birds of the air is a metaphor for Satan. Because the Bible tells us in the parable of the sower that the birds of the air came and took the seed. And he says, when Jesus was explaining the parable, he said that that is the devil. He's giving you authority. Authority. I was, listening to, I was listening to a guy who was teaching. He wasn't preaching. He was teaching very casually, very calmly teaching the word of God in a service. And this was during COVID days. And as I was teaching in this particular country, they didn't respect COVID a lot. But this guy was teaching the word of God, and there was someone in the congregation that was coughing. Coughing. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm out. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> so you could literally hear through the mic someone coughing repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And this man is teaching the word of God, and he, takes, he stops and he says, I banish that cough. The people say amen. He says, no, don't say amen. It doesn't matter whether you say amen or not. I have issued a decree. The cough ceased. I say, yeah. <laughs> so my son was coughing yesterday. I said, I banished that cough. He coughed more. <laughs> he can hear, he's still coughing now. <laughs> I said, Jesus, what is this? That one is not anointing. Do you understand that? That is authority. The man said, don't say amen. Whether you say amen or not, I've said it. It will happen. I said, no, no. I haven't found something in God. I have to excavate certain things. This doesn't make sense. That's authority. That's authority. <laughs> what a joke. So God made you for dominion. That was, the, that was the shape of Adam. Made him for honor and dignity. Um, and of course, for sound judgment. For sound judgment. You find this also in the life of Jesus, by the way. Um, when, when you study the life of Jesus, 
you will see an expression of kingship, very subtle, but yet very prominent. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he, he walked in such a dimension of authority, he would command the wind. And the Bible says the people were amazed and said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind obey him. Do you understand? That, that's authority. He, he, there was dignity. People say Jesus was not rich, he wasn't poor. A, a man that never had a need was rich. So forget about the, you know what I mean? So let's forget about your theological bend about Jesus was poor and he, he, he didn't have a donkey, all those things. Listen, a person who doesn't have a need is a rich man. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah. So when Jesus had a need, he would tell you, go to the, fish, to the ocean, catch a fish. The first one you catch would have money, take and pay our bills. Is that not riches? Who needs a bank account when you can do that? No, it's true. So any bill that showed up in the ministry of Jesus, at a particular point, Jesus was ministering, and there were multitudes of people. And his disciples started to do analysis for him to protect his image. They said, look, Rabbi, in case you've not understood, it's getting dark. This is a multitude. Very soon, they're going to get hungry. Let's just, just end your sermon now. Disperse the crowd. Jesus Christ goes, what? Give them food to eat. I'm, I'm going, <laughs> Philip says, look, this man, I know you're always praying on the mountain. You don't understand the price. You don't know in inflation. You don't understand the price of food, right? Jesus Christ, give them, sit them down, sit them down. Who has anything? And he multiplies the food. That's authority. Jesus lived that life so well. This is John chapter 6, I believe. After he, he'd been around for a while, the people started to consult with each other and said, look, we're going to make this man our king. No, think about that. I know it doesn't make sense to you. Um, so I was saying this, that in John chapter 6, after Jesus had been around for a while, the people got into such a... The, the, they, when they observed his ministry, they said, look, if we had a king like this man, we would never lack for anything. So they started to conspire. Israel had not had a king for years. How they would make him king, and he ran away. So the, it's, like, it's like someone sees your profile on LinkedIn, and they don't invite you for an interview, they just send you a job offer. You understand that? They, they knew that this guy called Jesus, he's a king. He's just lying to us that he's a carpenter. He, he's, truly, he's truly a king. He's truly a king. He lived with authority. He lived with authority, such an authority. He went to the grave of Lazarus, John chapter 11, and called him once, once, and four days. The guy was dead four days. And the Bible says, he that was dead, he that was dead came out. There are dead things in our lives that we've been praying about, whereas God has given you authority to speak the word and to command it to come back to life. They would come to Jesus in his ministry. They would come and ask him hard questions. Do you know hard questions? The intent is to confuse him. They would literally sit down and say, now, look, who has the hardest question? Let us mess this guy up. They would agree that this question you're going to ask, there's no how he will stumble. They would come to Jesus, ask him a question, and he would give them an answer that when they're going back, they would have a headache. <laughs> Do you understand? Impromptu, just... Just like that, he would reply them, and they will be confused. <laughs> Do 
they came to him one time. What a, what a strange question. They said, a particular man had a wife, and the man died. And then <laughs> the brother married the same wife. The brother died. Anyways, six brothers or so married the same wife. This same wife. From the brother number three, something is wrong with their head. <laughs> they, are, they are not well. So you, your first brother married, the wife died. The second one married, the wife died. You are the third. At least number two, we can say something happened. Number three, you married the same wife. So they came to Jesus and said, okay, in the resurrection, who would she be married to? Jesus Christ said, <laughs> Jesus Christ said, you do err. You are in error. Do you understand that? Yeah. You're in error. He says, you don't know the scriptures, not the power of God. Jesus lived with authority and dominion. He needed a donkey. He sent for a donkey. He needed an upper room. He told them, go into the city. The first man you see, ask him, where is the place you have prepared for me? By the way, this is the same Jesus that said, there are greater works than he did. We will do. Mm. Authority. Before I talk about the articles of kingship, I want to read a scripture to you, Psalms 8, 4 to 6. If 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 captures the heart of priesthood most accurately, well, not most accurately, that's the one I like, there are others. Psalms chapter 8, from verse 4 to 6, captures our royalty, our, priest, our kingly dimension, our kingly office precisely. The Bible says, popular scripture, says, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the son of man, that you visit him. It says, you have made him a little lower than angels. Let me stop there for a moment and say this. When he talks about being lower than angels, he's really speaking about the fact that, because angels are spirits, right? And you and I have a spirit, but we also have a flesh. The moment you have this thing called flesh, it degrades you in stature. The spirit realm is superior to the physical realm. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's not really to say that angels are superior to human beings in that sense. It's just saying... Do you understand what I just said? All right. You have made him lower than angels, a little lower than angels. Now listen to this. What have you done? You have crowned him. Don't read fast. You have done what? Crowned. That's, that's the kingly office. There is a crown upon your head. And this crown has what? Glory. And has what? Honor. The next verse, it says, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That is your kingly office in operation. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? He has crowned you with glory and dominion. So shame is not yours. It's not normal for a child of God to put shame. Listen, by the way, when you read the Bible... You read the story of Israel, you'd see how God said, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 15, 14 verses, God is speaking about his plans for Israel. He says, I will set you on high above all the nations of the world. You will lend to nations. You will not borrow. You will be the head. You will not be the tail. Do you understand that? He's speaking about 
real dignity that God was putting in Israel. He said, look, if you would do everything I said you should do, this is how you will be. I keep saying it. Listen, I was talking to a few people the other day during the week um, about patterns. Patterns. You would observe a pattern in Israel, especially in the book of Judges. Israel had a pattern that never failed. They would start out with sin. Sin. They would go into sin. Either they would go into idolatry or they would marry the people that God said they shouldn't marry. They would just do something ridiculous or they would make a golden image, whatever. After sin, it's always slavery for them. Read the book of Judges. One land will come and oppress them. One people, the Philistines will come and deal with them. The Amalekites will come and deal with them. After slavery, then they will cry out, salvation. God will come and save them again after they repent. Hmm? Okay. After salvation, success. They flourish again for a season. And then they go back into sin. It was, that was the cycle. So God will raise a judge to bring deliverance. They will go back after that was their cycle and listen to me very carefully i was wondering i was thinking about this that i just imagine if israel never lived the life of sin israel would be by far the greatest nation any human being by the way they are still the greatest as far as i'm concerned but it's debatable today and this is with many many setbacks i mean I mean many setbacks. If these guys just al align themselves to God and never deviated, wow. Uh, in Israel right now, they will have flying cars. It will be like a different planet. They will be so far ahead. And by the way, this is our problem as well. We have cycles too. We do. We have patterns that we go through. We don't learn the lessons and we go back. We trust God for a little bit in this season, and we'll fall back. We live well for six months, and we do two years of wilderness. It was never, Israel would have been something to behold. God said, I will, look, I'll make you, <laughs> you'll be great. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Let me tell you about the articles of, of kingship. When I say the articles of kingship, I mean what are the things that you must have to be considered a king, okay? The first thing is that you must have the birthright. You must have royal blood. The Queen of England passed away this week, last week. And they said that um, the line of succession, the royal line of succession has now changed. Did you see that? You saw it. So I was looking at the line of succession. I looked at everything. And I was looking out for your names there. You know the reason why your name <laughs> did not feature? Wait, I did not see Prince Ade. You should, do you know the reason why? You were not born into the royal family. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Do you understand that? Were, I, I said, oh God, I'm royalty now. Can I have this be the 18th line? Your name will not feature. Why? You have to be born. There is a birthright to be royalty. To be king in Israel, you had to be a descendant of David. Simple. I'll explain that in a second. So the first article of 
kingship is your birthright. That's the entry point. Qualifies you. The second thing is your domain. Every king must have a domain. Right? Must have a domain. You must have a territory that you rule over. So the Queen of England, for example, has a territory beyond England, by the way. <laughs> okay, I hope you guys know she's the head of state for you guys. When you do your citizenship, whether you like the queen or not, you will do like this. I pledge allegiance to the queen <laughs> of England. You, you will pledge allegiance, whether you like it or not. Or King Charles now. You must have a domain. So she cannot go to the U.S. and say, I want to form a government. They would evict her respectfully on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> do you know Spirit Airlines? Yeah. That airline is, is a big boss in the sky. That's what somebody said. He's <laughs> a boss in this guy. <laughs> they won't give you food. They won't give you water. The hostess tell you, find any seat and sit in it. <laughs> Ratchet. <laughs> Spirit Airlines. Anyways, every king has a domain. There's a place where your authority stops, starts and stops. So Jesus Christ, oh, anyways, I'll speak about that in a second. The third thing that you must have as a king is that you must have a throne. Right? There's a place from which a king administers or rules. And the fourth thing is that you must have what's called a scepter. A scepter is the staff of office that a king has. Some kings have a ring, some people have a scepter, an actual rod. Let me walk backwards. Let me start with domain, by the way. What's your domain then if you're a king? Can we talk about this? Where, where do you have authority? Talk to me, where? Your kingdom. Where's your kingdom? Okay, let's go back to Genesis 1. Have dominion over what? The earth. Your domain doesn't enter heaven. It's the earth. So generally speaking, what God is saying that I have put all things under your feet. Scripture says that the heavens, even the heavens belong to God. But the earth he has given to whom? The sons of men. So our domain is on the earth. The earth in general is a place where we are meant to exercise dominion. We're meant to show the rulership of God on the earth. We are ruling under God, as it were, on the earth. So as a king, who, whose domain is the earth? It doesn't matter if you relocate from Mozambique to Madagascar. You're carrying a dominion mandate on your life. The land has to yield for you because it says subdue the earth. Have dominion. Simple. Have dominion. This is one of the reasons why sometimes, not all the time, sometimes Christians in some countries haven't wrapped up their heads around this fact. Because sometimes there's a belief that I have to leave this place to prosper. Do you understand that? I have to. By the way, if God wants you to leave to prosper, then you should definitely leave. But that I have to leave to prosper is not scripture. I taught you about Isaac that sowed in the land of famine, and in the same year he ripped a hundredfold. Right, that's our heritage. Those are our ancestors. We have dominion over the earth. But let me, let me say this to you. That, that is our general dominion. There is also a specific dominion that you have. And that has to do with your specific space that God has created for you on the earth. When Israel 
left Egypt. God said, I am taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember that? I need you to talk to me now. Now. It's important. Do you remember that? What was the name of this land? Now, talk to me. The land. What was the name of the land? Someone said the promised land. Canaan. Canaan. Thank you, Canaan. Thank you, Canaan. So, what God was saying to them is that in this land of Canaan is a place I've given you dominion, specifically. Now, if they decided and said, we don't like Canaan, we like Vancouver. The beaches are better. God, we are going to Vancouver. You know what's going to happen to them? There was no Vancouver then, but you know what's going to happen to them? They will suffer. Can I say this is why many Christians suffer? You're not in your space. You're not in Canaan. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. But there is still a space that he's designed for you to function in. And in that space, that space is a land flowing with milk and honey. Outside that space is hell. So in Canaan, as far as Israel was in Canaan, everything worked for them. I mean everything worked for them. Jesus, the Bible says that in Canaan, they would live in houses they did not build. They would drink from wells that they never dug. They would eat the fruit of vineyards that they never planted. That's what happens within the domain. Everything has been built and set up to help you and enable you when you're in your space. But here you are. God has called you to politics. You decide, I want to be a business analyst. And you're like, but I heard that business analyst makes six figures. Why am I making six letters? You see, <laughs> the problem is that you're not in your space. You're not in your space. You're not in your space. There is a space God has designed for you. This is why in life, apart from finding your salvation, you must find your space. You must navigate to your space. Your place can be politics. And when you're in that place, you're like a fish in water. When you bring your fish out of water, it will struggle first, then it will die. Yes, it will die. Thank you. <laughs> it's true. Your space can be entertainment. Your space can be anything whatsoever because God is looking for ambassadors in every different, every sphere of society. There is a place for you. It can be business. It can be medical research. It can be anything at all. But when you find yourself in that sweet spot, it's almost like you're cheating. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is almost like you are cheating. How do you live in houses you never built? Well, they were in their space. So for every Christian, there's a season of your life where you go through the wilderness. And really, that wilderness season is for you to find your space. So it's okay to be in the wilderness. So don't stand up now and say, I'm quitting my job. It's not my space. I did not say that. I, online, I did not say that. You might be in the wilderness, but what you're looking for is your antenna is up. Where's my space? Where have you made for me? Where's my space? I was, I was earning $100 a month. True story. Many years ago, when I started telling people that God has called me to lead in the corporate world. If I started saying it now, 
it'll be like, yeah, you can say it now because you are there. When I started saying it, my, my life did not look like it. I just knew it, that this is my space. Mbuki comes to me sometimes when I'm at work. She says, are you working? I'm like, what do you mean am I working? Of course I'm working. What do you think I'm doing here? I think I'm playing here. But the truth is, I have no sweat. No, no. Why? I'm in my, I'm in my space. But you see somebody who's doing well in their space, you start to copy them. Give me the connections now. How did you do it? It's okay if that's your space. But if it's not your space, what's going to happen is you will struggle. There is a domain. Apart from the earth, there is a specific place. God said, look, if it's Canaan, go there. Don't go outside these boundaries. But if you're there, angels will fight for you. The land, when they plant, they would reap multiple harvests in the same year. Because it was Canaan. You can look and say, wow, that other place looks very green. Let's move there. Once you move there, it becomes brown. It starts to die. I pray that you will find your space. Because that's where you can rule. That's where you have honor. People seek you out. People find you out. People, people ask your views. You are celebrated. You are not tolerated there. You're not stressed out. Some of you, your blood pressure goes up on Monday and only comes down on Friday after work. No, true. Like Monday to Friday, you are, you are stressed out. But we like things that have a bit of a shine to it. So we think that, but the truth is, if you're in your space, there's a glory that comes there. I think about people that have some very weird expressions. I'm like, what's special about this thing that this person is doing? I remember this lady who, um, I think she passed away, I'm not sure, I think she did. Maya Angelou, right? She passed away. What does she do? She writes cards. I'm like, this is not a big deal, but you go and write. Go and start your own card writing business. Do you understand? Just find your shape and find your space. If you do that, you will rule there. Beyond that, you need a throne. What's your throne? Scripture says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. So that means that where you administer from is heavenly places. That's your throne. That's where the king sits, right? In Christ Jesus is where you administer from. So if you understand the power of your throne, and the scepter that you wield, authority will be easy for you. The reason why you have a problem with authority is because you see yourself as sitting in 1558 Maryville Road. You see yourself as sitting in your office, so you're threatened by someone and you start to shake. But if you understand that you're sitting in heaven, if God just opened your eyes and you saw yourself sitting in heaven, you will just tell that boss that is threatening you, stop now. I'm warning you. I'm giving you two more minutes to stop this because you are seated with Christ where? in heavenly places and it doesn't say it says far above principalities and powers so in other words forget about the earth even principalities and powers you are above them you occupy a space there is a throne that you have 
and there is a scepter that you wield. The scepter that you wield is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he is the rod of his power. That scepter is given to you as a king when you, when you take office. You're not just given a throne, you're given a scepter. It's a combination of the two. And so when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, one of the things that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. And that is the scepter you can wield. It's a scepter of authority. The Bible says about Judah that the scepter shall never depart from Judah. Judah was the ruling tribe. The scepter would never leave your hand. The Holy Spirit is with you to indwell you at all times. And when he needs to come upon you, he will come upon you. And when he needs to overflow you, he will overflow you. The scepter that you have. So you have a domain. And if you find that domain, the specific domain, not the general one, you know your throne. Your throne is not about finding it. You're already there. You just have to become conversant with it. Understanding it. Then you have to understand the Holy Spirit that God has given to you to wield within your domain. And the last thing I talked about was your birthright. All you have to do is be born again. When you're born, the Bible says that you are born of God. Do you understand that? Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, whosoever is born of God has dominion. That's what it means. Has dominion. You cannot go out there, what I've just said to you, and say, I'm a king. I'm going to exercise authority. If you've not been born into the royal line, the minute you give your heart to Jesus Christ, God, you are reborn. Okay? If any man be in Christ is a new creature, it says, old things have passed away. All things have become new. You've been born into another line. There is the blood of God now that flows, it flows in your veins. So when they see the royal line of succession, your name would feature there because you're born of God. And as soon as you're born of God, he would give you that scepter, which is the Holy Spirit. And it will give, he will give you in increasing measures as you walk with him. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.